Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this one's going to be on pancreatitis. And pancreatitis is one of the classic applications for some CT. And I wanted to go through some of the basic principles and some of the things we're looking at and learning about these days. Pancreatitis statistics about a quarter of a million cases a year in the U.S. every single year. In fact, probably it seems to be a very low call. There's probably many more than that. It's a benign disease in most cases, self-limiting, but in other cases, it progresses to, with high morbidity and mortality. 4,000 deaths each year are a result of alcohol abuse. And the majority of cases of pancreatitis, and I should mention, obviously, that not all cases of pancreatitis are due to alcohol abuse, but the majority are, and about 90% of cases are due to alcohol abuse or biliary disease, and the clinical presentation is variable. We know that most patients who have pancreatitis never get a CT or other imaging studies, and in fact, they're treated conservatively, which makes all the sense in the world. As this article by Sean Bahogi mentions, that acute pancreatitis is one of the most common conditions for which emergent imaging is indicated. Alcohol consumption and colothiasis are the most common causes of acute pancreatitis in adults, where the majority of cases in kids are due to uh, idiopathic or trauma. So in saying that, the question really is when do we use CT and how do we use CT? And you can see from this quote that it's really used in the more complicated cases where management decisions need to be made, where conservative management may not be the ideal uh, decision process. Etiologies range from alcohol abuse and gallbladder disease to trauma, as we mentioned, to post-operative complications, complications post-procedures like ERCPs, from select medications, or even exotic things like a scorpion bite. There are many causes of pancreatitis. The role of CT is simple. Sometimes we're uncertain what the cause of abdominal pain is. Pancreatitis is a differential diagnosis of ulcer disease and dissection and gallbladder disease and acute pyelonephritis, so we're not certain. Other cases, we know it's pancreatitis, amylase is elevated, and you want to know the extent. The pain and clinical symptoms are out of whack with each other. Patient has very limited findings on physical exam or lab tests are mildly elevated, but the patient's in excruciating pain. You might get an imaging study in that regard. And then in patients with known pancreatitis, we are worrying about complications. Abscess, necrosis, or bleed are three good examples. In terms of protocols, we have a very simple protocol for pancreatitis. Again, IV contrast becomes critical. Oral contrast typically is water to distend the stomach and proximal bowel. Depending on the situation, we can get by with one phase of acquisition, routine pancreatitis. But if you're looking for complications, including vascular complications, dual phase imaging may be necessary. As noted, uh, positive contrast can be used or water. Three cups, 1,000 cc's over about 30 minutes works well. The last cup when the patient gets on the table. IV contrast, ideal injection, the 4 cc rate. Uh, 100 to 120 cc's of Omni work very nicely. And as I mentioned, the portal phase tends to be ideal for most cases, particularly when you're doing routine follow-ups. But if it's a drop in crit and you're worrying about a bleed or a pseudoaneurysm, therefore, you better be doing arterial phase imaging. The pancreas, we know from looking at cancer and everything else, is really critically located. And when you look at the schematic diagrams, it's easy to understand the problems that involve the duodenum, or the spleen, or the SMA, or celiac, or GDA, or 
portal vein and SMV. So whether it's organs or vessels, anything can be involved with pancreatitis. Now there are many different classifications. A recent classification tries to look at things as sort of mild acute pancreatitis and severe acute, where 80% of cases are mild, there's no evidence of necrosis, and patients recover without complications. The severe acute pancreatitis, which is about 20% of cases, also known as necrotizing pancreatitis, has evidence of CT, of necrosis, which means lack of enhancement, and these patients, no surprise, have increased morbidity and mortality. And this is an update of the uh, staging procedure, the Baltazar grading system, which put things into five categories. Again, this one um, tends to focus more on pseudocysts and the... Um, the other classification focuses more on necrosis. Uh, Balthazar and Lenhart wrote a follow-up article uh, making the point that even with mild pancreatitis, you can have complications, that a small number of acute life-threatening complications and chronic complications are expected to occur in patients with milder forms of acute non-necrotizing pancreatitis presenting with fluid collections. And they made the point that repeat studies, clinical monitoring are recommended to document the resolution of fluid or development of complications. And the point of this article is that people can get complications that can be early or they can be late. We can see splenic rupture due to erosion of splenic vessels by pseudocysts. So there are many issues involved and hopefully, you know, again, following it up, you can be more aggressive in management. And in their article of 169 patients with milder acute pancreatitis, 16 complications in nine patients, or 5.3% incidence. So it's not uncommon, but it's not common as well. And again, their comments, routine follow-up is recommended. Well, let's look at a few cases. Nice contrast enhancement, what do we see? The gland is edematous, there's some fluid around the gland. By the way, there's a right adrenal lesion. Fluid tracks into the left anterior space, fluid tracks to the, uh, near the spleen. And again, a very classic appearance of mild pancreatitis. The gland enhances normally, there's no areas with lack of necrosis, and there's fluid present. In most cases, that fluid will resolve. Here it is on a volume rendering on your left and a MIP on your right. Okay, another example. A little bit more extensive pancreatitis, more glandular inflammation, more fluid, but it's a classic appearance. You're not going to confuse this with cancer or anything else. Peripancreatic fluid tracking to the left anterior perirenal space greater than the right anterior perirenal space, most commonly to the lesser sac, are all very good presentations. Again, another example, what you see very nicely in this case on the 3D map is the very nice glandular enhancement. And that glandular enhancement means there's no necrosis. Lack of enhancement means necrosis. It also shows why you need IV contrast. Now, when the inflammation gets more extensive, here's fluid left anterior parenal space, lesser sac pushing on the stomach, very extensive pancreatitis tracking up and down, and coronal views nicely show how it compartmentalizes. Very, very uh, good example of that parenal space involvement, and you can see why the patient would indeed have pain. Now, when you look at the severe acute pancreatitis, that's with necrosis. Now, if you're looking for air as a sign of necrosis, air is fairly uncommon. That's much more severe. It's more likely to see a case like this 
where you see the tail enhancing, but where's most of the head and where's the body? There's this lack of enhancement present. That's pancreatic necrosis. You can see lots of fluid, lesser sac, pararenal space, very extensive inflammation. We see the vessels arterially nicely, SMA and celiac in their branches, no pseudoaneurysm seen. Uh, another example, same case, fluid tracking by the pancreatic head, by the duodenum, just very nice examples of pancreatic necrosis. You go a step further, another patient, now you see the air. That's pancreatic abscess, and this was going to be drained percutaneously. You can see the drain coming into place. Uh, but air within the pancreatic bed is infrequent compared to the percentage of patients who have necrosis. Again, with necrosis, we'll look at how extensive the necrosis is, 20%, under 50%, over 50% of the gland. The more necrosis, the more the morbidity and mortality. Now, patients, particularly those with repeated episodes of pancreatitis, get all sorts of vascular complications. One of them is splenic artery pseudoaneurysms. Now, pseudoaneurysms, the number one cause is pancreatitis, though it can be due to trauma, it can be post-operative, and it can be due to ulcerative disease. The presentation is variable from abdominal pain to melana to hematemesis. A key thing to remember is pseudoaneurysms rupture in, in up to 37% of cases with a mortality approaching 90%. If you can diagnose a pseudoaneurysm early, you can save the patient's life. If you don't diagnose it, it can rupture, and the patient has a good chance of dying. So very, very important set of numbers. Now, here's a nice example, pancreatitis. Patient had a history of repeated episodes of pancreatitis. You can see that one centimeter vascular blush, and we'll show it to you in a few different projections. Here it is again. And here it is on the 3D map. Very nice pseudoaneurysm that is present. That can rupture. That's a small one that will be embolized. Another patient, look at this larger pseudoaneurysm extending to fluid left anterior parenal space. It's near the pancreas. This is the type of pseudoaneurysm that can rupture, and this will kill the patient. If this ruptures, this patient will probably present in shock and may never survive. This patient actually had this rupture. Uh, patient uh, was resuscitated and has done well, but you can see the importance. Another example, look at this case, severe pancreatitis, lots of fluid, active bleeding into lesser sac, very nice example of a splenic artery pseudoaneurysm. Okay, critical diagnosis. What else about complications? Pseudocysts, common, most of them resolve in their own, common locations, lesser sac, anterior parenal space on the left, that they can be peripancreatic, they can go to the right anterior parenal space, they can track to the posterior parenal space. Here's an example, patient, pancreatitis by history, abdominal pain, large left pleural effusion, and it's not uncommon to see pericardial or pleural effusions in patients with bad pancreatitis. And here you can see a nice fluid collection pushing on the left lobe of the liver. There's another co collection in the region of the lesser sac. There's also fluid by the left anterior parenal space and perisplenic region. Or in this case, look at this large pseudocyst in the lesser sac, classic compression of the stomach. In fact, many of these, when they become mature, are drained right through the stomach, but just a beautiful classic location in the lesser sac. Now, it's interesting in this case, the gland did not look that bad, but often the gland itself will have a variable appearance relative to the extent of a pseudocyst being present. And here's just a nice example, coronal display, volume rendered, or just a simple coronal display, pushing on the stomach. 
And these ones in the lesser sac are in fact better seen on the sagittal projection. So no problem in that regard. Now anytime you have large fluid collections, concerns of course of vessel compression. So with pseudocyst lesser sac, you get splenic vein compression, which can lead to splenic vein occlusion, lead to large collaterals. You can see some of the collaterals here, some thickened gastric folds, and here is a couple other images, axial plane. And then here we'll take it into a 3D map into the lesser sac. There you see the occlusion of splenic vein. There you see the gastrocolic vessels are dilated. And here's just another really nice view of showing you those varices, showing you the splenic vein occlusion. And here it is one more time. Okay, very nice example of the sequela of pancreatitis with venous occlusion, in this case the splenic vein. Other vascular complications are hemorrhage, so-called hemorrhagic pancreatitis. Look at the high density within the pseudocyst in the lesser sac. That's classic hemorrhagic pancreatitis, which you can see very nicely in this example. These patients, you want to be able to exclude pseudoaneurysms. Sometimes you can get erosion of small vessels, which can cause the bleeding, but you want to be very careful that you're not missing an extensive bleed. So this indeed becomes very important. Now, once we go beyond pancreatitis, we look at chronic pancreatitis. Chronic pancreatitis is usually a sequela, obviously, of a patient who's had multiple uh, different episodes of pancreatitis. Chronic pancreatitis can have a spectrum ranging from glandular calcification, you can see in this chart, to duct dilatation and the like. The issues with chronic pancreatitis are some of the complications, particularly vascular in nature, increased incidence of pseudoaneurysms, a number of different complications. And what we'll do is we'll address that when we do part two of the pancreas. So with that, wish you a great day and speak to you soon. Bye-bye.